We are live, episode 93, Business and Buckets, coming at you on this toasty summer afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, um, at the end of July, and uh, I'm fired up to talk MMA, watch the first episode of Dana White Contender Series last night, got into um, finally watching the full-fledged of fights this past weekend, also got to watch the Dana uh, White uh, post uh contender series post-conference which had a ton of juice excited to dive into that a little bit of mlb action some off-season nfl and nba but before we talk sports you already know we're going to talk field supplements so do you guys ever have trouble sleeping do you wake up groggy not feeling like you've even rested do you toss and turn at night if so it's time to get knocked out it's back the market's leading advanced sleep and recovery formula, Knocked Out, is now in stock with the facelift. There's two new flavors and an improved ingredient profile. And experience an unreal night's rest with an all-in-one sleep formula, superior recovery, muscle repair, pain relief, and anti-inflammation. Fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling more refreshed. You can also regulate depressive and sedative actions critical for relaxation, decreases stress, anxiety, manages cortisol and adrenaline reset. It also increases growth hormone production. There's two delicious flavors to suit your taste buds. Watch your sleep improve, your mood improve, productivity improve, and your life improved with Knocked Out. Save some cash when you go to fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS. B-U-C-K-E-T-S for 15% off. I've used Knocked Out. I like it a lot. I do kind of toss and turn at night. I upgraded my bed. I have a uh, a bed frame that goes up and down to lift your head and feet. That's definitely helped as well. But something that puts you in a deep sleep, allows you to feel more refreshed when you wake up. Wake up. Highly recommend Knocked Out. Again, you're, you're getting supplements, whether it's for sleep, maybe it's... Uh, this daily multi, maybe you, you want to get some insane lifts in. You need some pre-workout field supplements has like three different pre-workouts. Go to fieldsupplements.com, Check them out. Try them out. Leave some reviews. Let me know if you need any recommendations. Let me know. We'll scope them out. Support small business because that's what we all got to do to keep small business alive. Now, um, I'm filming this right now as I get ready to head to Wyoming First time in 11 years. Go see friends and family. I'm super excited about that. Spend some time in the mountains. Do a little bit of off-roading. Um, but I'm really excited about what has been booked. I know last week it was all about 280. What's been booked in the MMA world. Uh, what Dana gave in his Juicy Fight Conference. And also I got to see UF, or Bellator 283 in person in the Emerald Queen Casino in Tacoma. So we'll break that down a little bit as well. So in the MMA world, UFC 280, banger. Well, they want to add Marina Rodriguez, a fucking stud, and Amanda Lemos, who just fought. That's going to be on the card. The card gets that much better. Johnny Walker versus Jan Kutalaba is booked for UFC 279. That's going to be a stand-up fun one. Benoit Saint-Denis versus Christos Gregos. That should be fun. For the big dogs, Ilir Latifi versus Alexi Olenek is booked. 
Odie Osborne versus Tyson Nam. That's going to be great in the flyweight division. Cub Swanson, the legend, the Hall of Famer, moving down to bantamweight to take on Jonathan Martinez. Jake Collier versus Chris Barnett. I figured that would be the fight they booked. They did book it. And from Dustin's team, Dustin does want the Michael Chandler fight. It is not official. Dana White said that they haven't even discussed it yet. But could you imagine Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler? That's the fight I want to see. And even better yet, put it in Abu Dhabi, 280. That shit's going to be lit. <clears throat> so first week of the Dana White Contender Series, you know, I've watched it here and there. I haven't consistently watched it. This is going to be the first year I want to consistently watch it. Bo Nickel is going to be up in a couple weeks. Uh, the the Penn State, you know, um, you know, I guess you could say probably like a Hall of Famer in Penn State wrestling. Uh, Blake Builder, uh, Josh Morin, my good friend at Field Supplements. He's highly recommending me checking him out. I've been I've been tuning in, watching his fights. He is now on Dana White Contender Series. And there was another name. There's someone else of a good name that I'm really excited to watch. But some good quality talent this season in Dana White Contender Series. Week one, though, Dana upset as majority of the fights. There's already the best fights in the world. Bellator, UFC especially, that happen. Fight fans get to watch. Dana doesn't know who you are, what you've done. He doesn't want to because he doesn't want to biasly sign Dana White Contender Series guys into the UFC. You know, maybe it's... Uh, Matt Sarah's boy or Uriah Faber. They don't want to. He doesn't want to have that biasy. So he has no idea who you are. He expects you to show the fuck out. You have three rounds. So let's say you have a bad round one. All right, I got to come out round two and three. I really got to set the tone. I got to look for a finish or submission, a knockout, whatever it is. And these guys just weren't doing it. They were. They were. You know, talking about how it was nights off. They didn't. You know, give it a hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, he, he definitely let it be known after that. And even in the presser, he only gave one contract out and it was the fighter that got the finish. He looked excited to be there. He was hyped up. Everyone else was kind of nonchalant doing their thing. Um, so hopefully this sets a precedent, sets the tone for the rest of the season. But after the contender series, he had a press conference. He was able to talk about the fights last weekend in London since he had not been a part of the press conference. Um, I was going to film last night after this. I decided not to uh, film today. And I'm glad I did it because, boy, was Dana's press conference juicy. I love Dana, man. Um, what a legend. The way he just speaks on things. And he gives you some good insight here and there. Dana knows that content is king. Viewership is king. They asked how big could Patty Pimblett be. And, you know, do I think Patty Pimblett is a championship uh, level fighter at this moment in time. I do not. But this gives you a pre precedent of why Sean O'Malley is one of the biggest fighters in the UFC and why Patty Pimblett does have so much pull. Tom Aspinall, a legend. I know he blew out his knee. We'll talk about that later. I, I, I'm very sensitive to that still. But Tom Aspinall, Curtis Blades, the main event of the evening, heavyweight fight. Everyone wants to see heavyweights brawl. Most likely going to be a fight that goes to the, that's not going to the judges' scorecards. Dana White posted the video of them facing off. It got 200,000 views on Instagram. Patty Pimblett's face-off, 1.7 million. That gets you a sense. I think he even said 
um, Molly McCann's um, video of her taking shots of Hallerhead after the fight, two million. So the poll that her and Pimblet have together, but the fandom, the stardom, the way the media covers them, that's really how you earn your money. And Patty's right there, which is wild to think. They asked him about some of the recent bookings, including the Nate Diaz versus Kamzat Chamayev fight. And he talks about how he enjoys Nate Diaz, but how hard it is to be logical with him to book a fight. He had actually talked about fighting uh, Francis Ngannou and just some crazy out of left field shit. I mean, it's Nate Diaz. And um, he said that he wanted the Chamayev fight. He could have waited for Conor McGregor to reheal for the trilogy, but he doesn't want to sit around. He wants to finish his UFC contract. I think he has plans for post-UFC. Uh, but that was interesting to, to kind of get some intel there. <clears throat> and for me, when Sean booked, I'm closely following Sean. I'm listening to his podcast and everything else. I know that Sean follows the timeline of McGregor, his number one, you know, idol. McGregor had his blossoming career right at 28 years old. Insert Sean's time frame. He just fought a top 10 opponent. You jump up, you fight the number one contender, you win that fight, you're right there for the title, and you could be a mainstay in the division for a long time. You're hardly in, even in your fighting prime yet, and he has hardly taken any damage. He hasn't even been taken down. I figured Sean, Tim, they pitched, you know, Sean Shelby or whoever had needed to be pitched, but supposedly Sean Shelby wanted that fight. I don't know if that's the influence from Sean or not. You know, he said he's in his prime, he hits like a truck, yada, yada. But Sean Shelby brought it up to Dana, and Dana's like, what? Are you kidding me? We can't do this now. I don't get it. Sean sold him the, the, the situation. Both fighters wanted that fight, and here we go. So um, bravo to Sean and team. I'm sure their influence had a lot to do with it. But if not, Sean Shelby, um, you know, I, I love where your mindset is. Sometimes you got to let your guys go in the deep end, see what could come to fruition. If they learn how to swim, they become superstars. So... Uh, it was a lot of fun that was um, developed in that press conference. And I love that that was Dana White's first reaction because I assumed that this was not a Dana White idea by any means. <clears throat> now, um, elsewhere in the fighting world, Frank Gore was supposed to box uh, Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell talks about how seriously he's taking boxing. Well, that event is canceled. I'm not sure what promotion or what's going on, uh, but I, I doubt that'll happen. It seems like Jake Paul, the celebrity boxing, if you're in with him, that'll work out. But the rest of celebrity boxing is definitely taking, taking a nosedive. The stock is down. But yeah, I got to see Bellator 283 last Friday in the EQC. First time being in that event arena. And boy, was it very... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Very personal experience. I feel like you could only fit a couple thousand people in there and ended up selling out. I bought tickets right when they went on sale, like 60 bucks or something. So glad I did because they were selling for over 250. But it was a pretty cool production. The vibe in the arena. I mean, not as many people. Obviously, if people are going to go watch Bellator for that price tag, they are not as educated. What I enjoy about going to UFC fights live is everyone there is a true fan. They're paying 300, 400 bucks to be there. And, you know, those are not even, those are like some of the worst seats, honestly. And just the vibe is different. Everyone's bought into the fight. If there's a wrestling, you know, there's wrestling that happens. People aren't booing instantly. And here there was a lot of it, a lot of wrestling, but they were booing immediately. 
They were just, it was just too much. But Bellator 283 will we'll start. I, I put two fights in a parlay. I, I parlayed that with the fights on Saturday. And I, I parlayed the main event in the co-main. But starting um, towards the end, towards the bottom, Khabib was there in person. I mean, I was probably 50 yards away from the octagon. So having Khabib there was really cool. That's like, you know, an A-list MMA guy, UFC fighter. That's like having Conor McGregor 50 yards. So the, the whole arena was going crazy over that. That was probably one of the highlights. And um, Khabib had three fighters on the card. Uh, yeah, they all won. Actually, they didn't all win, but two of them won. Um, and so he was around quite a bit. But um, all the fights that I picked, I picked correctly, besides maybe the Dalton Rosa fight. But Ahmed Magomedov, he defeated Kevin Boehm. Um, he looked good, dominant fashion. That was Khabib's first fighter. Godzi Rabaninov, he wrestled Bobby King. This was an interesting fight because Bobby King was cleaning house while they were standing. Rabaninov definitely didn't want it to stay that way. Um, so he ended up wrestling out the, the, the victory. But Bobby King looking like a good striker, a fun fighter, and he, and he, did, his, he did his thing. Dalton Rosa defeated Romero Cotton uh, via knockout, pretty vicious knockout. This was early in the fight. Uh, two undefeated fighters, young prospects. Romero Cotton, a legit NCAA wrestler. Um, Wyoming legend Bryce Meredith, future UFC fighter, current LFA fighter. Talks highly of him. He trains with Cotton, but he got he got clean sweeped with a nice with a nice shot. Um, Muhammad. Berkamov, this is another um, Khabib guy, I believe. He got a, a weird um, elbow from Lorenz Larkin. This was an undefeated fighter versus more of a veteran fight fighter, so it seemed like to be a good fight. It looked like it was basically um, straight down, right, 12-6. It looked like maybe a little angle, but this guy, it seemed like he definitely overplayed it. Way worse than what Aljamain's situation was. Uh, so that was kind of messy. The fans were super upset about that. Usman Nurmagomedov dominated Chris Gonzalez, looking good, looking like he shouldn't even be in Bellator, to be honest. Um, so Khabib was obviously happy about that. And the co-main, this was the fight I picked, and not the easiest of fights to be confident about without a ton of Bellator knowledge. As Sydney Outlaw is the number one contender, but Tafik Musayev demolishes him. Whatever country he's from, he had a big following. People are going crazy. That was a ton of fun. That guy is legit. This is a guy that looked like he could be in the UFC. And then Jason Jackson wrestled out Douglas Lima for victory. I picked J Jason Jackson. I didn't think it would be that wrestling heavy. There was not a lot of striking. People were booing upset. Uh, but Jason knows what he had to do to get the dub. He did. Douglas Lima, his days of Bellator. I believe this is his fourth fight that he's taken an L on in a row. His best days are past him. Everyone always thought he could be a UFC legit fighter in his class. I just don't really have ever agreed with that. But Usman Nurmagomedov, definitely a name in Bellator to keep an eye on. Tofik Musayev, all those guys looking legit. The rest of it up and down. But let's talk UFC fight night in motherfucking London, O2 Arena. And I was cleaning house with picks. I went 11-1. and one. 
And I had some parlays. Unlike the week before, I made sure I put some parlays in, some favorable matchups that I thought, there's no way these don't go the way I think they will. And um, I was on pace to win $6,000 on like $50 in parlays. Tom Aspinall, Curtis Blades, I took Aspinall. Aspinall took a step back after landing a leg kick and blew out his knee. They give the TKO victory to Curtis Blades. I lose $6,000. Brutal day in the office. That's sports betting for you. I believe that's probably why they give the other guy the decision. Um, so, yeah, I'm still a little scarred from that experience because I, I did do so well. Some fights that I picked correctly and thought would be decent fights, but we didn't break down. Uh, Nathaniel Wood with a nice win. Jonathan Pierce, Jai Herbert, Herbert and Nicholas Dalby. Some interesting fights. Those are ones that I put on a deeper parlay for better odds. All those hit. I was feeling good by the time um, the, the fights that I am more confident on came about. And the fights that we did talk about, and we'll start in the prelims, obviously, I got all of these right. Thank, if you guys are tuning in, checking out my bets, I'm sure you're happy about it. Unless you had Tom Aspinall and lost lost it all at the end like I did. Um, but Muhammad Mokayev with unanimous decision over Charles Johnson. I mean, Muhammad doing what, what he says he likes to do, right? He came out hot early, round one. He had some big strikes. That was impressive because I thought Charles Johnson would give him all he could ask for when it was, um, you know, in, in a standing fight. And Charles seemed to feel pretty confident about that in the press conferences and things of that nature as well. But Muhammad was able to do whatever the hell he wanted. He was dominant. He got takedowns the rest of the fight. He had him up against the cage. He was doing leg sweeps. And, and Johnson honestly hardly did anything. I am surprised. Muhammad is so young and how much experience Johnson has. I was surprised with how, how Muhammad did have the back multiple times. You know, that's a no-no if you're Johnson. But for Muhammad and how legit people think he can be, he didn't get the finish. You know, he had his back multiple times. He had a position, dominant positions, rear naked chokes, a lot of different submission attempts available, and he didn't get the finish. So definitely room for improvement, but in a very impressive performance. This is the most impressive performance for me uh, for Mikhaev's young, young UFC and bright UFC career. And this guy's ego is just going through the roof. He's calling out Patty Pimblett. I'll go up. I don't give a shit. This, you know, he's calling out anyone who's anyone. It'll be interesting to see what his next few fights look like because he is only 21. I believe he's 21 years old. Muhammad Mokayev. Yeah, he's 21. July 30th. He's about to be 22 years old. Crazy. Statistically, Charles did land 71 total and 12 significant strikes compared to Muhammad's 32 total, 12 significant, and 12 takedowns, although 26 attempts. Muhammad does stay undefeated. He goes 2-0 in the UFC. Charles has his four-fight winning streak come to an end in his UFC debut. So what's next for Muhammad? I would love to see him take on Jeff Molina or David Dvorak. I think those would be fun fights, a good step up in competition for him. The problem with the flyweight division, there is some good talent, some young talent, but it's not the deepest of divisions. So, you know, are they going to keep slow playing this guy, give, give them guys that have UFC debuts? I'm not sure. Although Charles, I think, is a, a good fighter for a UFC debut. I believe he's the LFA champion or something like that, but he, he's a good fighter. 
And for Charles, he could take on Cledson Rodriguez. And then the prelim headliner, we had Mark DeCasey with a unanimous decision over Demir Hedzovic. And I was really interested if we were going to see the bone-crushing striking of DeCasey or back to the wrestling well. Well, it was back to the wrestling well for the bone-crusher as he had Demir down. He gassed him out throughout the fight. He did have some striking in the second round, but really went back to that newly showcased wrestling. He wanted to get the win. He's trying to get that momentum, get up to bigger, better names where he once was. Statistically, Mark landed 78 total and 13 significant strikes with eight takedowns in 11 attempts compared to Demir's 20 total strikes and five significant. So Mark now extends his winning streak to two, both of them in 2022. Well, Demir starts a new losing streak and is one and three in his last four fights. So what's next for the bone crusher? How about Jamie Malarkey? That would be a fun fight standing on the ground anywhere you want to go. And for Demir, he could take on Omar Morales. I think that would be a great matchup. And then we moved into the main card. This fight I was pretty pumped about. Vulcan Ozdemir with a unanimous decision over Paul Craig. And not watching this real time, I figured Ozdemir cruised through him with that unanimous decision. But this really wasn't a cruised through performance. I mean, round one, Paul utilized a bunch of energy. If you're playing UFC, his stamina bar, you know, he went from way up here to pretty far, pretty fucking far down there in the red. Um, he was trying for a heel hook. He was looking for submissions, you know, doing the crazy stuff that Craig likes to do for a light heavyweight. At the end of round one, Vulcan did land some nice shots. He got up. He was landing some hammer fists. In round two, he did find his range against Paul. He did get pulled into Paul's guard. Paul, instead of a takedown, just pulls you to him. He wants you to get close. Try to find those submissions, those heel hooks, those crazy submissions. Um, he likes to pull guard. That's what he does. Um, but because Paul went so hard and was, you know, when you're pulling a big guy onto you in light heavyweight, I feel like that takes a lot of energy in itself. I feel like he gassed himself out. Um, you know, he's pulling guard and throwing Vulcan around. But Vulcan hit him hard a few times in round three to take the unanimous decision. It was what it was. Um, but I feel like Paul could have been a little bit more strategic there because Vulcan wasn't really doing a lot to him while standing. I thought Paul was even landing some good shots. And Ozdemir, as he said, you know, he just was playing things very conservative. He wanted to get the win, not put himself in danger. I wasn't too upset about it, though, because I picked Ozdemir, even though I'm a, a bigger Paul Craig fan. But statistically, Ozdemir landed 108 total and 72 significant strikes with that takedown compared to Craig's 41 total and 33 significant. Now, Vulcan starts a new winning streak after losing to a very good Ankalaev and Proshaka. Paul now has his four-fight winning streak come to an end. So what's next for these gentlemen? I would expect Ozdemir to face somebody like Alexander Rachik once he recovers. Or as um, Krylov asked for, you could book him and Krylov at the end of the year for Abu Dhabi. Um, everyone wants Abu Dhabi all of a sudden. And for Paul, how about Ryan Spann or Dustin Jacoby, who's been hot? Those fights make sense. And then the O2 starts to get crazy as Meatball Molly McCann gets the first round knockout over the very beautiful Hannah Goldie performance of the night for Meatball Molly. And um, the start of this fight, you know, I didn't watch it live, saw Molly won first round knockout. I assume she just 
you know, easily went through. I saw the highlights, her taking the Howler head shots. But Hannah Goldie, round one, came out strong. She was pushing the pace. She had Molly up against the cage. I mean, Hannah Goldie is fucking shredded. And um, towards the end of the round, she started slowing down. So Molly landed a huge right hand, those wide hooks that she likes, followed it up with a spinning elbow. I'm not sure if the elbow really did connect or not, or if that right hand had her days. The elbow kind of pushed her up against the cage. But she had a few more punches against the cage, dropped Hannah, got the knockout. The 0-2 went wild. I feel like Molly hypes up the crowd better than P Patty. You know, obviously Patty's hyped up too. But Molly's really into the fucking crowd. She talks about how she's never seen people that excited over a woman and, and, and women's MMA. Um, but it took her 29 total shots, 24 significant with that knockdown. Hannah landed nine total and nine significant. Now, Molly is on a three-fight winning streak. She's 2-0 and this year. While Hannah starts a new losing streak, she's 2-3 and in the UFC overall. So what's next? How about Molly versus Aaron Blanchfield? I think that would be a great fight. And for Hanny, for Hanny, for Hannah, she could take on Courtney Casey. And then moving up to the light heavyweight division, Nikita Krylov with a first round knockout over Alexander Gustafsson, another performance of the night. And this one just, there was not a lot here. I mean, it didn't go very far. Nikita landed some big shots right out the gate. He wanted to pressure Alexander. And uh, Gustafsson's chin is definitely gone. He needs to stay retired. I mean, he, he got a fight off. I think he got knocked down, got up. That was kind of impressive. But then 15 seconds later, he's getting pushed against the fence, landing big shots. Krylov smelt blood in the water, and he went for it. Deservedly so, gets the finish. And I'm sure Gustafson just loves to fight, but sometimes your body can only take so much, and I think his is past due. But statistically, it took Nikita 26 total and significant strikes with the two knockdowns compared to Alexander's five total and five significant. So Nikita, he starts up a new winning streak, one fight winning streak after two straight losses. Gustafson extends his losing streak to four. He hasn't won since May of 2017. I think the time is done. So what's next? Well, I'm not going to say what's next for Alexander because I think he should retire. But Nikita could fight Ozdemir as he asked for, or Justin Nakobe. Uh, Dustin needs to fight ranked fighters. He's a ranked fighter. Either way, uh, those will be fun fights for sure in the light heavyweight division. And then it was time for God. Why do I always forget? Oh, Chris Griffin, aka Patty Pimblet, with a second round submission over Jordan Levitt. Um, another performance of the night. Now, again, second-round submission. I figured he would be pretty dominant throughout the whole fight. Watching it back, again, just kind of like the Hannah Goldie, Hannah Goldie fight, Jordan looked good. He obviously wanted to get the takedown and get the finish. He came out. He looked to wrestle. He picked Patty up over his head, slammed him down. Patty did have a guillotine attempt. Uh, wasn't good enough as he was able to get out of that. Um, but Patty, Patty kind of recklessly tried another... Uh, guillotine right as he got up Jordan went for another takedown he tried it it slipped out early he, he fell in guard um the rest of the round was you know these guys are pretty good on uh, in BJJ and on their back it was just a lot of scrambling situations so then round two Patty was able to get on top again he landed a big knee Jordan was up both legs up so legal Patty smoked him with the knee and then he was able to get his back sink in that rear naked choke um 
but Jordan came out strong in that first round. I think uh, I don't. I'm not too sure if he got tired or or what had happened. But but Patty was able to get the job done. Statistically, Jordan landed 41 total and 16 significant strikes with three takedowns in nine attempts. Compared to Patty's 30 total and 17 significant strikes, he had the one takedown and four submission attempts. And as he said, as they were talking shit in the press conference, I'm going to beat you up and teabag you like we did on Modern Warfare 2, which is basically you with your character in Call of Duty squatting. You're like teabagging the character. He, he pulled that off after submitting Jordan via rear naked choke. I mean, if I'm Jordan, I'm fucking pissed. Um, obviously, you just got choked out. You were in war, but like you just got teabagged, bro. Uh, that went viral, obviously. <laughs> so Patty extends his winning streak to five. He is 3-0 in the UFC while Jordan ends his two-fight winning streak. So I would love to see Patty take on Claudio Pueyes. I think that would be a good step up in competition. And Jordan could fight Omar Morales. Then we had the co-main. This was the one fight. You know, I've hit all the fights right so far. Chris Curtis just keeps defying the odds. I mean, he beat Phil Haas, who I think very highly of. But I'm like, there's no way he could beat this. You know, this is a big jump up in competition. I don't know if he could handle it. And Jack fought the fight that Jack needed to fight. He got the unanimous decision over action man Curtis. And this is all Jack picking apart Chris. He's not putting himself in danger. He's not acting like this is a sparring match. He's keeping Chris at distance and making Chris, uh, you know, get into his his range. And Chris wasn't really enjoying that. I mean, he wanted just to brawl. He wanted to get himself a chance to go up in the rankings, keep this Cinderella story going. But why would Joker do that, right? He's not going to put himself in a complete brawl. He's not going to put himself in a position to lose to the... You know, he's been in the rankings a long time. You lose to Chris Curtis. You're going to be at the very back of the rate rankings and fighting at, at, in your prime to even stay alive in the UFC. So um, I, I, I can't blame the man. Obviously, I picked him. That was nice. Uh, statistically, Jack landed 100 total and significant strikes compared to Chris's 43 total and significant. So you can see the big um, desperation and amount landed there. So Jack starts a new winning streak. He is 3-2 and two in his last five fights. Chris has an impressive eight-fight winning streak come to an end. He is 3-1 and one in his second UFC push. Still very impressive. And I'm sure we'll all be excited to see what Chris does next. So what is next? Well, I think Jack should take on the winner of Paolo Costa and Luke Rockhold. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, if that takes too long, he could fight blonde Derek Brunson. Two grapplers that could be interesting. And for Chris, how about Ian Heinish? I think that would be a great matchup. Would love to see it. And then the main event, very anticlimactic. We've had a couple main events in a row. The Sugar Sean, no contest, wasn't a main event. But then we had the Yair Rodriguez Ortega fight with the shoulder. Now a blown out knee. Curtis Blades, first round TKO over Tom Aspinall. And there it goes. I was counting my 6K, believe it or not. I was coming back from golf. I was watching this on my phone. Uh, I was like, oh, what do I want to do? Yada, yada. And boom, there goes the dynamite. But what a bummer. I mean, it looked to start out like it was going to be a great fight. They were landing massive kicks. They were getting set up. Tom landed a pretty hard kick, stepped back, and I think his knee just buckled. Statistically, it only took Curtis four total and significant. Tom landed three total and significant. So Curtis extends his winning streak to three. Tom ends his eight-fight winning streak and suffers his first UFC loss, although it's going to be on the record, but, like, come on. 
This is some Shukashan, right? I'm undefeated. Like that's that's kind of how it is. Now, Curtis, um, I think he should get the winner of Tai Tuavasa and Cyril Gone. While I think Tom, he could get the winner of Derek Lewis and Sergey Pavlovich. But we have no idea what the time frame is on that knee. Um, Cyril Gone and Tuavasa should be a banger. Maybe someone's beat up. It might take too long for, for um, Blades to get out there. You know, he could fight as soon as possible as he did not take any damage unless that one leg kick really fucked him up, which I highly doubt it. So it'll be interesting to see either way. Curtis Blades, Tom Aspinall, they're on a card. You must tune in. So what do we have this Saturday? UFC 277. Early prelims on UFC Fight Pass, prelims on ESPN and ABC. Some fights that we won't be breaking down. You have Mike Diamond, the kickboxing and training partner of Israel Adesanya. Uh, Nikolai Nigamaranu, he's fighting in the early prelims as well. Uh, undefeated, I believe. So Mike Diamond, uh, Nikolai, interesting fighters. Check them out. We're not going to break down their fights. Mike Diamond started his UFC career with a loss. He's 0-1. I believe he got submitted. Um, so he definitely needs to find a way to victory here. But we're going to kick it off in the prelims. We have Drakkar Close, 34-year-old fighter with a 12-2-1 record and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Rafa the Gifted Garcia, 27 years old with a 14-2 record. Now, this is an interesting fight. It was somewhat short notice because Drakkar Close, this this fight I was really fired up for, was supposed to take on Diego Fieta, but he pulled out due to injury. So now both fighters here, they're definitely looking for momentum. Drakkar, he's in his prime. Garcia, he's just kind of gaining his experience. He's 27 years old. So, uh, uh, you know, Close is the favorite. I, I kind of see this as a must win. Close, he's an orthodox fighter. He trains out of the MMA lab, Sean O'Malley, Jared Cannonier, the whole squad. He's a purple belt in BJJ. He is on a one-fight winning streak. He's 4-1 and one in his last five fights, and five of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now, Rafa, he's a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Eight of his 14 wins are via submission. But I really like Close on the feet here. I think he's going to utilize his hands. Get those leg kicks going. He's going to get the win, and he's go going to prepare himself for a big fight at the end of the year. He's been through a lot lately, and in his prime, the time is now. He went through the shoving thing with Jeremy Stevens. Now he has a big name like Fieta. Doesn't happen. He needs to get the win and move on. I'm taking Drakkar. I'm putting him on my parlay. We're getting that vengeance. I didn't bet two weeks ago. I'm pretty positive I would have won some money. Blown out knee cost me 6 k Let's fucking go. Sports gambling. That's how you know. If you don't know, now you know. But we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Drew Dober, 33 years old, with a 24-11 and 11 record, taking on Rafael The Turn Alves, 31 years old, with a 20-10 and 10 record. Now, this is another close bout with both fighters kind of having up-and-down careers. They're taking on stiff competition. They fought a lot of big names. But Drew trains out an elevation fight team. He has a brown belt in BJJ and a black belt in Taekwondo. He is on a one-fight winning streak. He is an ultimate fighter, Bellator, and Titan FC alum. 11 of his 24 wins are via knockout. 
Six of his 24 wins are via submission. So he has finished 17 of his 24 fights. And four of his 11 losses are via submission. Rafael, he is on a one-fight winning streak. He is 2-1 in the UFC. He is a Dana White Contender Series and Titan FC alum. Seven of his 20 wins are via knockout. Eight of them are via submission. So 15 of his 20 fights have been via finish. And six of his 10 losses are via submission. Pretty similar to Drew here. He does have a three-inch leg reach advantage. Going to start bringing up those leg reach, especially for kickers. Now, I expect Drew to get the finish in this one. But he's got to be careful. He can't be getting taken down. Right? Rafael's going to try to keep him off of his front foot. So kicks, especially with the leg reach. Right? Takedowns, look for submissions, gas him out. But I'm feeling confident. Drew, in his prime, likes to throw hands. I think one's going to land. For that reason, I'm putting Dober on the parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Now in the main card, this is the fight I gotta see. I'm gonna be way up in the mountains in Wyoming. No cell service. I won't know until Sunday what happens. But I'm putting 100 bones on this dog. I'm putting this shit on a parlay. Whoo! I can't wait. We got Megomed Ankalaev, 30 years old, with a 7-1 and one record. And the number four next to his name. Taking on Anthony Lionheart Smith, 34 years old, 36 and 16 record, and the number five next to his name. What a fun fucking fight this is going to be. I think the real, this is a real measuring stick for Ankalaev. We've seen what he's done. He's beaten some good names. He hasn't had that upper level competition. And I didn't think he was that impressive in the Tiago Santos fight. He's a big-time favorite. I believe Lionheart is talented in so many places <clears throat> that he is going to put um, Megomed in deep waters. I want to see what the updated odds are here. I think it was plus 450 Smith. Like, what do they know that I don't know? <clears throat> I know that combo combat Sambo is a very big... Mixed martial art, the people are flying high colors, right? It's doing really good in the UFC. I know people love Ankalaev, but plus 400, put some respect on Lionheart's name. Give me 400 for my 100, boost my parlay odds. I'm all for it. I mean, Anthony's got some swagger about him in this fight. He does a podcast. He's part of some UFC production, whether ESPN or wherever. His quote was something along the lines of Magomed is not the, you know, the, I don't know. What's the word? The boogeyman that everyone thinks he is. He's not, you know, unbeatable. He is not perfect in a lot of places. And we saw that in the Santos fight. He wasn't even that aggressive. I think Anthony can hang, hang with him in the striking. I think if he gets taken down, his jujitsu's in play. I mean, he just beat Ryan Spann. Ryan Spann is a fucking dangerous striker. Um, so unless Magomed takes him down and smothers him, which I haven't seen him do in the past few fights, I just don't see how he's going to win. But when we look at the specifics, Magomed is an international master of sport and amateur MMA and combat sambo. He has the second longest winning streak in UFC light heavyweight history in eight, and that's tying Lyota Machida. 
He is a former alum and champion of the WFCA. He's on an eight-fight winning streak and is 8-1 in the UFC. His one loss comes to Paul Craig. Nine of his 17 wins are via knockout. I mean, I'll just give you guys the mindset that I have here. Because I, I, I keep thinking, like, am I in denial? Like, what? why am I so confident? I'm, I'm Anthony Smith confident. Anthony Smith's going to get the motherfucking job done. You know what I mean? Megomed's last fight, Tiago Santos. Tiago has not looked good lately. This went all five rounds. It was a unanimous decision. He had a UD over Vulcan Ozdemir. Ozdemir hasn't looked that great lately. A UD over Krylov. Krylov's good, but I mean, we're talking Anthony motherfucking Smith. He went back to back with Jan Kutalaba, knocked him out and TKO'd him, but Jan's not even a ranked fighter. He did beat Marcin Pracino, and he lost to Paul Craig. He beat Dolce Lugambula, who just fought down a few weight classes and fought um, Punahili, who's far back in the rankings, didn't even, um, you know, look that good. Anthony Smith beat Ryan Spann, huge win, submission rear naked choke. Jimmy Crute, decent win. Devin Clark, decent win. He fought Rakic and Teixeira. He went the distance with Rakic, beat Gustafson in 2019, so towards the end of his career, that's not as impressive. John Jones lost his fucking John Jones. He beat Ozemir, beat Shogun, beat Rashad Evans at decent timing. He did lose to Santos in his prime, but I don't know. I feel looking at that, it's like, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, plus 400? Come on. Come on. Well, Anthony trains at a Factory X. He's a black belt in BJJ. <clears throat> he is an RFA, Bellator, Cage Fury, and Strike Force alum. He's on a three-fight winning streak. 20 of his 36 wins are via knockout. 14 of his 36 wins are via submission. And nine of his 16 losses are via knockout. Now, I get it. Megomed's the big favorite. But I'm hammering the dog. Megomed is on an impressive run and has that dominant Sambo style we, we already talked about. I don't think he's fought the stiffest competition. We just went over that. He did lose to Paul Craig. Well, Anthony, I believe, is very underrated in the, in the UFC. And he's only lost to the best of their best, mostly in their prime. For that reason, I'm taking Lionheart. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. We going with the dogs. Hoo, hoo. Now to the little guys. The flyweights. We got Alexander the Cannibal Pantoya. 32 years old with a 24-5 and five record and the number four next to his name. Taking on Alex Perez, 30 years old with a 24-6 and six record and the number six next to his name. Now, I'm excited to see Pantoya back in the octagon as he's right there for a title fight. He has been for a while. He trains out of ATT. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Eight of his 24 wins are via knockout and nine via submission. So he's had 17 of his 24 fights via finish. He is an RFA and Ultimate Fighter alum. While Alex, he has a wrestling, boxing, and BJJ background. He is an RFA and Dana White Contender Series alum. He is on a one-fight losing streak, which was Divison Figueredo. But that was in November of 2020, so he hasn't fought for quite some time. Seven of his 24 wins are via submission. 
and four of his six losses are also via submission. He has lost to the champs in Figgy, and he lost to Joseph Benavides in 2018, but he hasn't fought a lot of the division and hasn't been very active. He definitely has seemed flaky lately, so we'll see if this fight even happens, to be honest. He was supposed to fight Sh uh, Matt Schnell many times, pulled out. He's a solid fighter. He does hit hard for a flyweight, but I'm confident he isn't at the level of Pantoja in the division. And although he is just now entering his prime at 30 years old, he should be should have in, uh, had improved a ton since his last fight. But I'm going with Pantoja. He's a tough son of a bitch. We're putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. Derek, the Black Beast Lewis, 37 years old with a 26-9 and record and the number five next to his name. Taking on Sergey Pavlovich, 30 years old with a 15-1 and record and the number 11 next to his name. Now, this is going to be another heavyweight banger. Any fight with the Black Beast plays out the way, plays out that way. I mean, it's just bang, bang, right? He's getting a young Pavlovich, no slouch. This is this is basically a pick 'em fight. I've gone back and forth. Derek, he's a blue belt in BJJ. He's a Legacy FC and RFA alum. He was a former Legacy FC champion. He has the most knockouts in UFC history with 13 of them dang things. He's tied for the most finishes in UFC heavyweight history, which is 13 with Frank Mir. He had the 2018 Comeback Fight of the Year against Alexander Volkov. I picked Volkov in that fight. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 and two in his last three. 21 of his 26 wins are via knockout, and 6 of his 9 losses are via knockout. To knock out or to be knocked out? It's a black boost. Sergey also has combat sambo background. He trains out of Eagles MMA in Moscow. He is a Fight Night Global alum and former champion with two title defenses. He's on a three-fight winning streak. 12 of his 15 wins are via knockout. His one loss is also via knockout, which was Alstar Overeem in his UFC debut. And he does have a five-inch reach advantage. Now, I think Pavlovich is going to take down Lewis early. I think he's going to tire him out, as many people have. So he can then stand up and get the knockout finish. I want to say Lewis because I love my balls is hot, Lewis. But Sergey is a stud. He's in his prime. He's fucking shredded. He's in great shape. I'm taking Pavlovich. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Oh, yeah, of course. Derek Lewis could finish anyone any given night. I get it. Then the co-main. This is going to be a dandy. I literally bought this UFC card because I will be in the mountains in Montana and you can't rewatch UFC um, pay-per-view unless you buy it. So now I could watch it on Sunday. But we get Brandon the Assassin Baby Moreno, 28 years old with a 19-6-2 record and the number one next to his name, fighting Kai, don't blink, Cara France, 29 years old with a 24-9 and record and the number two next to his name. Now, this is a great rematch as both fighters, in my opinion, have improved a ton since the last time they faced each other in the octagon. They're just scratching the surface on their prime. 
and they're going to be legit flyweights for a long time. Brandon, he now trains out of Glory MMA with um, James Krause. He is a black belt in BJJ. He's coming off a loss after going 1-1-1 against Divas and Figueredo. He was set up for a fourth fight but before the interim uh, came. Davison was bitching about money. Now he's hurt. I mean, who knows what's really going on with that guy? 11 of his 19 wins are via submission. He is the first Mexican-born champion. He's an ultimate fighter and LFA alum. He is a former LFA and WFF champion. He's the 2021 Breakthrough Fighter of the Year, and twenty and he had the 2021 Fight of the Year against Davison Figueredo. Kai trains out of city kick, kickboxing. He's a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a three-fight winning streak. He lost the first fight to Brandon Moreno via unanimous decision after knocking him down in the first round. 11 of his 24 wins are via knockout, and three of his nine losses are via submission. Now, this is going to be Kai's first five-round fight in the UFC. I'm not really worried about his cardio, but can he match the pace of Brandon through a five-round fight, volume-wise? Brandon has been leveled up a lot, in my mind, because he fought the fucking, you know, he's the assassin baby. Well, Divas and Figueredo is a fucking assassin. He's fought him three times in a row. I feel like they both leveled up each time, and that's the best fighter in the division. Kai, he's fought great competition, but not at the level of Brandon. I mean, he didn't fight Figgy three times. He knocked out Cody Garbrandt, but Cody's chin is gone. You know, he did beat Askar Askarov. Very impressive. But I think Brandon finds the way to get Kai down because unlike Askar, Brandon has a fury of fight, uh, striking ability with kicks and punches. He does have the bigger frame. You know, Kai's pretty small. I think it's going to tire him out throughout the first few rounds, find a, a position to get that submission. I'd probably even put down a prop submission finish. I'm going with the baby assassin, but I am not putting him on a parlay. This fight is that close, in my opinion. Then the, uh, the more important rematch, we get Juliana, the Venezuelan vixen, Pena, 32 years old, 12-4 record, taking on Amanda... The Lioness Nunez, 34 years old with a 21 and 5 record, the number one next to her name. And although she does have the belt, the GOAT of women's MMA. The first fight shocked the world. I mean, a brand, Amanda brought up having a hurt knee in this fight. She just had a baby. A lot of people didn't know how focused she was. She didn't look to be in the best shape. Um, I got to watch that fight in person, and it was fucking nuts. I think on the embeddeds as far, she looks to be in amazing shape. I think we're going to see a very vicious lioness this time around. And watching the ultimate fighter, she like I said, she looks like a pit bull just fucking ready to gnaw at something. Pain is not a joke, though. The Venezuelan vixen is a beast. She's going to make this a dog fight. She will put herself in line to get knocked out, in my opinion. She's going to push the pace in Amanda. Especially after round one, she thinks the man is going to gas again, and she's going to go for it. So get your popcorn ready. This is going to be fun. Amanda, she's a black belt in BJJ, a brown belt in judo. She's a strike force and a Victa FC alum. She has five title defenses at bantamweight, two at featherweight because she's the champ champ. 
She's the first fighter in the UFC to defend two titles and two divisions while holding both titles simultaneously. Other fighters have, but they had to give up one. She has the longest title reign of all time, over 3,286 days. She's tied for the most wins in the UFC by a woman with 14. That's tied with Jessica Andrade. She has the most knockout wins and stoppages in UFC women's bantamweight division with six and eight. Six knockout wins, eight stoppages. The most consecutive wins by a woman with 12. She was the 2018 and 2019 female fighter of the year. She had the 2018 knockout of the year against Chris Cyborg. She had her 12-fight winning streak come to an end and is coming off this loss. 13 of her 21 wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Juliana is an orthodox fighter. She's a purple belt in BJJ. She's an Ultimate Fighter alum and champion. She had the 2021 Upset of the Year versus Amanda Nunez. She was the 2021 Female Fighter of the Year. She's on a two-fight winning streak, and five of her 11 wins are via submission, and two of her four losses are via submission. I think this fight's going to go deeper than the original bout. I think Nunez is going to is really going to have to have her cardio on point, but I think it is going to be on point. I don't think Nunez is going to let this one go. She's going to find that lioness spirit. She's going to get her belt back. I think enough of that that I'm putting the, the lioness on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Next Saturday, we have another fight night back in the shitty-ass Apex. No, I'm, not, I'm kidding, but it's, it's fun to have locations. A 4 p.m. Pacific prelim card and a 7 p.m. Pacific main card start, so typical pay-per-view times. This will be on ESPN2 and is headlined by Dana White Contender Series alum Jamal Hill taking on Tiago Santos. Those guys in the octagon should be chaos. Um, but I'm excited for 277, uh, even though I won't be able to watch it till Sunday. But I'm putting the house on Anthony Smith. Let's go. In MLB, I'm wearing my all-star swag. I liked the swag this year. I got, I think, uh, Otani. Got to represent while Otani's still an angel and not a Dodger. Hopefully he's not a Dodger. Stays with the angels. But, uh, yeah, my angels fucking stink, all right? I was supposed to watch the Angels versus Mariners next weekend. Mike Trout's hurt. The fucking wheels are falling off the wagon. I might go camping up in Mount Rainier with the cousins instead. We'll see if Mike Trout comes back or not. But around the MLB, Jackson holiday breaks drew Jones deal for big or record for biggest deal for a high school player. The Giants signed Trevor Rosenthal one year, four and a half million dollars. He missed all of 2021 with a hip injury. Good reliever signing by the giants. If he could regain form. Kyle Lewis gets called up for the Mariners. Justin Upton is optioned. I would assume his MLB days are gone. He's hit under 200 with the Mariners in that little run. Luis Robert goes on the IL for the White Sox again. They cannot get over that injury bug. I've been there with the Angels. It is not fun. Um, There's still only a few games out of the wild card contention. If they can get healthy, I would assume they might steal the spot from the Mariners. Jazz Chisholm out six weeks with a stress fracture in his back. I'd assume he's probably out for the year, but a potential trade deadline chip as the Marlins said anyone not named Sandy Alcantara is available. Rafael Devers on the 10-day for the Red Sox. Red Sox potentially going to blow it up as well. The trade deadline 
is next Tuesday. So next week, we should have all the action for you, and hopefully there is a lot of it. Adam Duvall out for the season for the Braves. They've called in on Jock Peterson, looking to get him back. The Mets acquire big dog Daniel Vogelbach from the Pirates for Colin Holderman, the big stick Daniel Vogelbach. Kevin Kiermeyer out for the year for the Rays. Tough loss for them. Michael King is expected to miss the rest of the season for the Yanks with a fractured elbow. I thought Dallas Keuchel would be done. Well, the Rangers said now we'll give him one more chance. And this past weekend, the Braves beat my Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim 2-1. to one. They pulled a, a, a win in there without Otani starting. It's, it's amazing. The Yankees beat the Orioles 2-1, to one, slow down their hot streak. The Padres, impressive victory over the Mets 2-1. to one. The Blue Jays got their brooms out. They sweep the Red Sox 3-0, maybe making the Red Sox a trade deadline seller. The Guardians beat the White Sox 2-1 to one, and huge sweep. Astros swept the Mariners to keep them at range. And the Dodgers swept the Giants 4-0. Four-game sweep. Sheesh. Looking at the standings, the Yankees are running away with the ALS. Or the AL East. ALS. Um, the Rays are basically there in um, wildcard contention. The Jays got a spot. And um, where's the other team? The Red Sox are three and a half games back. So they're starting to trail a little bit. The AL Central, the Twins are two and a half ahead of the Guardians, who went six and four in their last ten. The White Sox are only three back there, seven and three in their last ten. The Astros, eleven ahead of the Rangers after that three-game sweep. We don't even want to talk about the rest of that shit division. The NL East, the Mets are two games ahead of the Braves. Both teams went six and four in their last ten. And the NL Wild Card, the Cardinals are are not that far back. The Padres a game and a half back. The Giants two and a half. The Marlins only four and a half back. They went four and six in the last 10. That's wild. I wish the Angels were in the NL sometimes. NL Central, the Brewers three games ahead of the Cardinals. Both teams went five and five in their last 10. The Dodgers 10 and a half ahead of the Padres. But the Padres do hold the second wild card spot. Series this weekend. What do we got going on this weekend? The Marlins hosting the Mets. Decent little series. The Blue Jays hosting the Tigers. Apple TV Plus Friday special. The Rays hosting the Guardians. Red Sox hosting the Brewers. Little ALNL action. Astros hosting the Mariners. See if they can get their sweeps out again. The Padres hosting the Twins in a little ALNL. Not as much great action as the past weekend. But still, baseball is heating up the trade deadline next week. In the NFL, the Packers extend head coach Matt LaFleur. Terms have not been announced. The Rams show off their Super Bowl rings. You could twist it off, and it looks like um, SoFi Arena. It looks like the little arena shows Bengals, Rams, fucking swaggy, huge rings. A lot of pup participants physically unable to perform. Michael Thomas, Deion Jones, Carl Lawson, James White, OBJ, David Bakhtiari, Tyus Bowser, Marcus Peters, Tredavious White, Clyde's Edwards Hilaire, and Minka Fitzpatrick, who just hurt his wrist falling off a bike. Fucking hate to see it. Supposedly, it's not that big of a deal. I would assume majority of these guys will be okay early, but just something to keep an eye on. The Steelers and Hines reach a deal to keep the Hines red zone and may even bring back a ketchup bottle. So... 
maybe a little bit of Heinz-esque in the new Acrisure, whatever the fuck stadium name it is now. Speaking of Steelers, they signed Jeremy McNichols as a backup running back and released Trey, yeah, Trey Edmonds, older brother of the Edmonds uh, three brothers. Chris Carson officially retiring from the NFL. All those neck injuries. I'm sure the doctor recommended that. Tough for the Seahawks. It's probably why they drafted their stud running back. Julio Jones signs with the fucking Tampa Bay Buccaneers. God, I'm so sick of Tom Brady. Get him out of the damn league. Add Julio Jones. Are you kidding me? Julio Jones. Mike Evans. Chris Godwin. Come on. The Browns signed Josh Rosen to a one-year deal looking for backup depth and competition as Deshaun Watson still to be determined. The NFL is launching NFL Plus, a streaming service for only $40 annually. If you could stream all games like NFL Sunday Ticket, I am not 100% sure if that's true or not. $40 annually, that's a fucking steal. Let's go. Uh, John Mechie likely out for the season for the Texans. Brutal for them. Buster Scrine officially retiring from the NFL. Justin Ross out for the year for the Chiefs. That guy just cannot stay healthy. And the Seahawks release BBK, ex-Husky linebacker. Raquan Smith officially going to hold out for the Bears. I don't blame him. He deserves the bag. And Dan Danny Amendola officially retiring from the NFL as well. We won't be talking a lot of NBA for the rest of business and buckets as I, I transition to MMA. But if there are headlines, we'll bring them up. The Suns did extend Monty Williams. Sharif O'Neal, Shaq's son, obviously, signing with the G League Ignite. And the Raptors sign ex-Jazz uh, Juancho. Hernan Gomez, the Netflix star. But that's episode 93. Fucking lost 6K on a blown out knee. I'm rapping now. Um, but yeah, lots of fun stuff happening. UFC 270 fun. 270 fun. That's how good it is. It's 270 fun. We get a couple rematches, some legit fights. Hopefully Alex Perez actually fights for fucking once. But uh, yeah, I'm going to head out to the 307. I'll catch you guys next week. Deuces.